You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 107, covering Disaster and The Game with Marissa Fleck. Friends, we are excited to announce that we have a new friend along with us. Never before appearing on this show ever. Ever. Which is great. Uh, welcome, Marissa. Glad to have you on. Glad to be here. No pressure. No, none at all. Um, nope. Whatsoever. You you are here as the result of our effort long ago to say, geez, we only have a bunch of dudes on this show. Maybe, yep. maybe a woman or two might give us an insight that we don't have. Why always <laughs> no girls? Right. And so here you are as a token. So enjoy that. Not because you're our friend and we like you, just because you're a chick. Yes. And I like... So. I'm always that double minority. I'm a chick with... Never mind. Continue. <laughs> All right, then. Fill in that space with whatever you want. A chick with things and stuff. Yes. I, my mind went two or three places, and none of them were, were uh, untoward, so at least there's that. Oh, uh, congratulations, Al. I'm sure someone will fix that for us, you know, when this posts. Undoubtedly. But, um... No, we, we know your husband. He's been on the show a couple of times, and I don't want to anger him because he carries a gun. So, <laughs> the episode that you chose um, is Disaster, and that is the first one. So, why don't you tell the fine folks about that? All right. Disaster. Episode. Well, the one where Picard gets stuck in the turbo lift, I think, is how everyone remembers yep. it. But uh, the Enterprise is between missions, so... Um, I think the setup in the cold open is that we're going to get to see a regular, normal day of activities between all the members of the crew. We get Riker, Worf, and Data hanging out in Ten Ford, and of course the O'Briens are bickering, which uh, only ends when they split up and um, Chief O'Brien goes uh, up to the bridge. Uh, Beverly and Jordy, I'm not entirely sure why they're in the cargo bay, but uh, she's badgering him about a musical, and he can't sing, so I'm not sure why she can't let it go. And uh, Captain Picard is uh, going to give a tour to a group of three children of the Enterprise. So now that we've set up all of our main characters, um, they're all at their not-normal posts. They're out of their element. So, of course, now this shit has to hit the fan. So uh, Murphy's Law strikes in the form of a quantum filament, or space debris we've never heard of, which isn't ever actually explained very well in the episode other than to uh, show us that Counselor Troy is a moron. Um but most of the systems on the Enterprise uh, go offline as a result of this collision. So now we've got uh, Captain Picard injured in an elevator with children. And uh, Beverly and Jordy are stuck in the cargo bay with a fire and some radiation. And uh, Data and Riker have to get down to engineering to make sure the ship, does, ship doesn't blow up. And uh, Keiko, in worst timing possible, selfish bitch, uh, decides to go into labor. <laughs> And uh, thereby forcing Worf to be, you know, best OBGYN ever. <laughs> and uh, I think uh, the part where we're going to be screaming a lot about later is that Troy is left in command, and uh -huh. we thereby have definitive proof that she's a fucking idiot. Uh, she flails. She's unable to make a decision to save her own life or that of the entire ship, which, you know, she's in charge of. But this is the Enterprise. This is Starfleet. This is the best and the brightest, except for Troy, which I'm sure... <laughs> We're going to go on about later. Um, and everything turns out okay. Um, Picard turns a corner with the children. They respond to him. 
and uh, they get out of the turbo lift. Beverly and Jordy use science to uh, put out the fire. Keiko has a girl. Worf is the best. Did I mention he's the best? And uh, Riker and Data keep the ship from uh, blowing up, uh, thanks to Chief O'Brien and Ensign Rowe. They're holding up the fort next to uh, Counselor Troy, who still sucks. So, she acknowledges this in the end, and uh, not everyone at once now. Can we discuss how much Counselor Troy sucked? (laughs) (laughs) Well, now almost out of spite, I don't want to discuss that. (laughs) Okay. No, of course we're going to discuss that. Jesus. Well, maybe maybe we should approach from the perspective of who didn't suck. Everyone else, yeah, exactly. Everyone else did a great job. Even even Keiko, who was still bitchy, you know, she had a job that was deliver a kid, and mm-hmm. damn if she didn't do it. She came through it with flying colors. Yep. You can't really get terribly upset with a pregnant woman who's in pain, being kind of bitchy. I think that's what they're supposed to do. Yeah, mm-hmm. but like I remarked when we were watching the episode, I don't know that I could tell the difference between angry pregnant Keiko and just normal Keiko. Well, I mean, usually when a- when it's just regular angry Keiko, nothing is emerging from her. That's true. There were the screams of pain in addition to the normal screams of I'm a bitch. <laughs> and she did give Worf a compliment at the end saying she couldn't have done it without him. So, you know, yeah. she gave thanks and credit. <laughs> and that, that leads nicely into, into the good thing I see you have here. So uh, why don't you tell us about that? All right. My good thing is basically every scene between Keiko and Worf once she goes into labor, um... Like I said, uh, there were actually three of the senior staff to begin with in 10 forward, but then Riker and Data go off, leaving Worf in charge of the injured, which, you know, I think we as the audience obviously go, this is a terrible idea. (laughs) And Worf, you know, because he's Worf and he doesn't know that he's supposed to not, this is not what he's supposed to be doing, just rises to the occasion and takes care of everything, including giving birth or helping this child come into the world. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that we discussed his bedside manner. I think that there's some people who would think it's abrasive. I thought it was perfectly fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a bit when when Riker and Data head off, and Riker's like, okay, Worf, you got to take care of these people. And he doesn't blink. He's not like, oh, I'm not the best guy. He's like, yes, sir. This is the yeah. job in front of me. I will do that. And I think even later on when, you know, it's brought up, pointed out to him that he's only, you know, helped to bring a child into the world via simulation, it doesn't even phase him like, well, nope. that's perfectly fine. I'm going to be fine. And each obstacle that's uh, you know put in front of him that the baby that might not be in position, it doesn't phase him at all, and he does his job and he does it well. And the kid is yeah. born and the kid is healthy, and I yeah like some like, of that bedside manner. <laughs> I just I I love that he's like the complete opposite of what Troy's getting up to. Just just goes into it, not even doesn't even blink. Just he does what he's supposed to do. He has to do. It's Every- great. Everyone else is out of their element and rising to the occasion, and one person did not. Yeah. Uh, okay, so let me ask you this, Marissa. As as a mother, as someone who has given birth twice, if if Worf was there coaching you through this, would that be better than the than the uh, the experience that you had, or is it just good on TV? Um, I had drugs. So, ah. <laughs> so that's a pretty good experience. Yeah, all um, Keiko had was uh, Guidance Best Booze. <laughs> I do know that I remember uh, swearing at one of my nurses when she was trying. You know, I, I think I said when we were uh, watching the video, you know, he's the worst cheerleader ever when he's telling her to push. Mm-hmm. But I know that that's something that my nurses did too, and I wanted to strangle them for them or strangle them for it. So I don't know right. that there's any sort of ideal situation or nurse or cheerleader there other than everyone shut the fuck up. I'm in a lot of pain. Right. 
Well, you, you did the tone of your voice. Am I correct in assuming, you know, am I, am I correct in assuming there's a bit of fondness there for Worf? A bit of, you know, uh, well, I think maybe that a there's, crush? Oh, he's, he's gorgeous. Okay. Any, any sane woman would have a crush on Worf. And when, you know, he's, he's manly and he can, he can bake a cake, which is, you know, spoilers for the next episode. Uh-huh. Um, but he can also help you out when you're in medical necessity and, he doesn't, you know, back down from a problem. What's manlier than that? Riker. You got me. <laughs> <laughs> but I'd otherwise, yes, I'm right. I'm, I'm with you. Okay. <laughs> no, absolutely. And there's the great bit where the, the baby's delivered and he's like, I will now cut the cord. And I fully expected him to pull his bat left. <laughs> well, I don't know that any other character or any other actor in that same situation would have been able to pull it off. It's the fact that it's Worf. And he's completely deadpan. It's a credit to Michael Dorn that he, the oh, performance yeah. that he gave. He he does not get enough credit for comedy acting because so much of what he has to do is wharf out of his element, being uncomfortable or just sort of not being what you expect him to be. And, and there's a lot of... He's the straight man. Absolutely. Yeah. Nothing in, in that, those man. scenes is inherently funny, but it's all in the right. way that he carries and delivers himself. Yeah. Well, and Matt mentioned this in the in Deep Space Nine. This this pays off into an even bigger joke, <laughs> which is, um, of course, Chief O'Brien and Warford both serving there, mm-hmm. and uh, um, Keiko is pregnant again, and, and O'Brien's all happy, and he's like, "Keiko's having a baby," and Warf just goes, "Now." <laughs> <laughs> and if you if you've watched the show all along, and if you went over to DS Nine, it's hilarious. And otherwise, you're like, "What what was that about?" It's a nice deep callback. I really enjoy yep. that kind of stuff. But then he's also got the bit where he's like, and now I will slap the baby. Like, he's just finally a little violence. I get to cut. Uh, to I get induce, to slap. To induce breathing. Yeah. yeah he's that's not just it. going around slapping babies. Well, he actually gets to do a lot of the, uh, you know, being good at delivering the kid is yeah. just standing around and, and, like I said, being a cheerleader and making sure Keiko's okay. But this is actually, yep. you know, he gets He can do ter- something. Exactly. And you, and you mentioned his bedside manner. There's a bit before where he's setting somebody's broken bone. And he's like, bear down. There will be a lot of pain. <laughs> well, you did well. Handled that it, 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 he was honest. I mean, oh, it's yeah. going to hurt a little. My ass, it's going to hurt a little. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Your leg's broken and I got to shove it into something. Here. <laughs> but you mentioned that, you know, he's he's great in the scene. And you're absolutely right. I'm trying to think of any other character that would be put in that situation where it would be interesting at all. Maybe Picard would be uncomfortable too, but, but anyone it, else is like, yeah, they'd be fine. They'd be either they'd be fine, or they'd be, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, I can't do this until the very last second when they do, and it's like, oh, I don't give myself enough credit. Worf is just like, I got this. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, and your bad thing? Um, my bad thing, I um, I think I made it pretty obvious from the uh, <laughs> the summary that uh, Troy's a fucking moron. Yep. Ooh, but yes. I, I I feel the that rage is best channeled through uh, one of y'all, <clears throat> Matt. Um, so I'm going to go with something uh, a lot smaller, okay. which is that uh, there's a subplot involving Beverly and Jordy in the uh, the cargo bay, and I felt like you know it was written in such a way that the episode was short. They said, okay, we've got these two principles. Let's put them somewhere and figure out something dangerous and. And the fire with the radiation, the, the containers that were there, felt like a cheap way to get them involved in the episode. But I can't complain too much because I think if you stretch 
we could go cut that storyline and give mm-hmm. more time to the other things. But I think if those other ones go too long, they probably don't work as well. So, well, it was not a hard really one a to find. It, it was it was hard to find a bad thing in this one. Oh no, Ex- it wasn't. Except for well, except for the one glaringly obvious one is what I'm saying. Yes. Because this is one of, like, I love this episode, and this just goes right into my good thing. It, it pushes all my buttons. It's, this is what I want from Star Trek. It's character-driven, which when this show really does that, it does it really well. It's when they get into these stupid high-concept premises and these stupid, you know, let's, let's deal with a wacky uh, ghost or a stupid <laughs> everyone turns into kids or, you know. It's an like, alien ghost that's turning people into other things. Yeah. What will we do? I'm not but, sure... Like, this shouldn't have worked, you know? We're in the ship. We're not doing any sci-fi space-type things. You know, there's people I stuck mean, we're in doing the, the elevator. sci-fi space things. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, they hit something in space. It, you know, it could have mm-hmm. been a floating trash can instead of this yeah. uh, quantum <laughs> filament. And, and now they're forced to rough it. But that's my point, is the show doesn't have to be dripping in science fiction. You can put them in basic, you know, dramatic situations, and it still works really well because of the mm-hmm. characters. When you write them well. I honestly disagree with you as far as the Beverly thing goes. And again, I grade her on a curve because she's been almost as useless as Troy. And in this episode, one of them clearly emerges as queen of the useless. But I actually liked her. Like, I actually thought, first of all, I like the aspect of her sort of browbeating crew people into doing her stupid musicals. Yeah, it actually, that sort of ties, tying in with her tap dancing thing. Yeah, I just, I, I feel like she's, and, and Marissa, you had mentioned that kind of goes back to her being a mom thing, and you're kind of right about that. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, but, at the end of the day, everything with Beverly goes back to her being a mom. Yeah, but on the other hand, I can see that, but it is her getting well, into different stuff now her, that Wesley's gone. Exactly. Her baby's not there, so now she's got to, you know, interfere with everyone else's lives and mm-hmm. get them doing her things. But I kind mm-hmm. of like that we all have, or have had a coworker. Who's just way too into let's do a togetherness thing, let's do a morale thing, and you're like, no, leave me alone. Come on, it'll be fun. Team <laughs> building. A, and how much fun is it actually when to, it happens? None. <laughs> she's also the one who's always trying to get the crew to buy Wesley's uh, Starfleet Academy cookies. <laughs> <laughs> I, but I mean, I thought I, uh, by Beverly standards, I liked the scenes with her and Jordy. They made a good team. They gave yep. the, the writers gave them a situation that the two of them had to solve with engineering and medical knowledge. And we never see those two together. No, and I think if you t- pair up Jordy with anybody, it's cool. Like oh, yeah. I think he's one of those characters that works with anyone. Mm-hmm. But I liked the two of them together. Like I say, I think their skills were matched to the problem. I think they had some nice chemistry together. And I, she kept her cool, and she got down to the business at hand like a good Starfleet officer would. <laughs> um. Yeah, we had two strong females, none of which was the person who was in charge of the ship. Yep, none of which who got to sit in the big chair. Just on, no, we got three strong oh, that's females. Right, three. Yep. Because we got little Marissa, which apparently was just a coincidence. I assume that's why you picked uh, this episode because mm-hmm. the little girl in the turbo lift that Picard. <laughs> Uh, makes his number one. His... I, I do remember having a fondness for this episode as a kid, and you know, I think, I, what did we say, this is 92? I would have been 12. Of course mm. a 12-year-old's gonna love that there's a character on the, her favorite show that's, you know, the same name. It's even the yeah. same spelling. Who gets to be friends with the captain? <laughs> <laughs> Who gets to be one of the more useful people in the episode, honestly? Yep. Yes. Um, and my bad thing is, well, like Marissa said, Matt took the big one. 
I guess that kid who was the executive in chief of in charge of radishes. I guess he was pretty stupid. I like that kid. I I did not. It, it's clear that Picard says, "Oh, you're that one. You're the useless one. Uh, you get to be the radish guy." Let's see. I guess I'll make. I guess I'll make you counselor. You're my first officer. You're my see- science guy, and you're my radish counselor. That seems like something you can do, right? Are you sensing anything? <laughs> can you stare off into the distance and look concerned? Hmm. All right, Matt, how about you? Okay, so my good thing, this episode is genuinely laugh-out-loud funny. Yeah, it is. Like, you'd th- you wouldn't think an episode called Disaster, where people are, like, dying and everyone's in trouble, would be as funny as this is. Well, it's really basic comedy 101. You put yeah. you put all the characters in situations that they, you know, they're really uncomfortable or ill-suited to, and then you watch what happens. Yep. No, I love it. And Picard and the kids, especially uh, the girl, Marissa, have great chemistry. They really worked well together. No, and I think that that little girl deserves particular praise Mm -hmm. because the character was written well, but the actor really picked it up. And she's just she goes from sort of crying in the corner. What do we do? And Picard, like like Marissa said, treats the treats her like an adult. And even before that, she's like super shy around Picard. Yep. He, he he sees that she's the most useful of the three of them, and she's like, he's like, I need a first officer. You're my number one. And she just brightens up, and she's like, yep. number one? Really? I get to be in charge of people? Yeah. She's purpose. Yep. Yeah. And you realize that, you know, this this one day is going to be a very bossy woman, and this is the, <laughs> this is the moment <laughs> that began. She's a Marissa. Could you expect any less? Oh, this is true. Um, okay, Matt, you took the cherry bad thing that we all wanted, so... Well, I mean, this is what happens when you when you write your summary, let's, or when you write your good thing, bad thing first. That's true. So, let's let's talk about this. Well, Troy, this was it. Your big chance to f- shine and finally, finally prove to us that you're a useful character. Boy, you sure whizzed that one down your tights, didn't you? <laughs> Spent 30 minutes looking under a window, not knowing what to do, and then you make up for it by talking loudly to Ensign Rowe. And you outrank her, so you should. You did the bare minimum required to be captain. Good fucking show. At the very least, the very least, you should have been able to figure out if there was anyone alive in engineering with your magic powers, and you couldn't even manage that. Well, bra fucking vo. Way to go. At least Bever managed to not suck long enough to press a button. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Marissa, I think you were correct to assign him executive in charge of being pissed off. Yes. I've been disappointed in in Troy's character before. It it bugs me that she can't, like, live up to the rest of the crew. No, but it always felt like the writers just weren't putting her in the right situation. But this is the, you know, okay, put her in, like, back her against the wall and she'll show what she's really like. And then now she's going to be great, right? Yeah. Nope. 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 There is, she There are no hidden depths. Absolutely nothing in this episode. It sits around, she looks nervous, she asks O'Brien and Ro and Ro what she should be doing. Well, I think the dynamic is great. It's her and O'Brien and Ro. Mm-hmm. And that speaks to what I was saying before about everyone gets something to do, even the second tier guys like O'Brien and Ro, who are recurring characters but not in the main credits. And I actually I like how uh O'Brien and Ro sort of play off of each other. They're very, very different characters. Well, that's what I'm saying. The dynamic between the three of them is great. Mm-hmm. 
because Roe has clearly been through some shit. She's yes. been through some ugly situations. She knows how to handle things sort of in a dirty or hands DIY kind of, yeah. this isn't the approved way to do it, but let's get it done. And she does not have time to de- to no. coddle this chick, you know? But, and then you got O'Brien, who is a great senior enlisted guy in that he's got all the answers, but he can't, he can't be a jerk yeah. to Troy. He's got to, he's got to say, well... Here are your options. You're the boss. What do you think? And Incidentally, I think you should do this. Yes. And he handles her perfectly without being condescending, without, yeah. you know. Although there was the one point <laughs> where he says, we hit a quantum filament. And she says, oh, is that like a cosmic string? And he's like, uh, no. <laughs> it's like, was, no? Wh- why would you even? No. God, no. I, no. And we, we talked about, we talked about this too. Yeah. If like O'Brien is not the astrophysicist guy, he's the mechanic. No, he's a he's an engineer. He's good at yeah. getting his hands dirty and fixing things, but he's not. You know, he doesn't so know what a quantum filament is. If he is. knows what it is off the top of his head, it's pretty common knowledge. Yeah, it's probably like in basic physics one hundred and one at the uh, at the academy. Just like, like oh, never mind. Cool. Like, just Troy comes off as the dumbest fucking character. No, and there's even, like, I would say, okay, well, maybe Roe sort of steamrolled over her because she's got that forceful personality. But there are a couple of points where Roe says, you know what? You're the senior officer. Make the decision. Like, Roe yeah. never tries to overstep her rank. She's like, no. I have the answer, but you know what? You're right. You're in charge. What do we do? I mean, like, she even knows, like, I may be ensign, but there's still a bunch of people in front of me. Yeah. Even if it was just me, like, even if it, even if not for you. And this is, I believe, the first time they explicitly state that she is a lieutenant commander. Yeah. I don't think they've ever actually said that she's any actual... I don't even know that we knew she was in Starfleet prior to this point, because she could be a civilian for all we yeah. know. Honestly, there's, like, there was never been any indication... No, her title is counselor. Yeah. So she could be but, a civilian, and maybe she uh, should be. But apparently she's a lieutenant commander, which is not that low of a rank. No. That's... I mean, Geordi is that. Data is that. Pretty yeah. important guys have that rank. Yeah. I, Actually, I think Beverly is a full commander, come to think of it. I, I would not be surprised. I can't remember. She outranked uh, Monroe before she died. Monroe is only a lieutenant. How mm-hmm. How is Counselor Troy not already in charge of the bridge once disaster struck? I think that she doesn't have bridge officer training, actually. I think they address this in season six or seven where she actually takes her test well, to become have... bridge certified. Well, yes, but you've got a lieutenant commander who is routinely on the bridge who doesn't know how to run the ship. Yeah, well, that's embarrassing. Yeah. yeah, it is. Like, but like, like we said, this is the writer's opportunity to say, you know what, we've we've really handled this character badly. Let's put her in a situation. Let's prove that she's got what it takes. And th- they deliberately chose not to do that. Yeah. It's and Ron Moore wrote this. It's like he deliberately said, you know what, she's useless. Let's show how useless she really yeah, is. Like this is the perfect opportunity to show why she should not be in charge of anything. Right. Now, if they play this as sort of the reason why she eventually becomes, like, starts taking her bridge exam and stuff? No. I would actually like that, but they don't do that. No, I believe what happens is, and I may be remembering wrong, I do know for a fact she doesn't wear a uniform until season six. It's a uh, chain of command when mm-hmm. Picard goes off and gets tortured by the four lights guy. Yeah. And a different guy's commanding the Enterprise, and he looks at Troy, and he's like, put a uniform on for God's sake. Mm-hmm. And from that point forward, we see her wearing a uniform, and I think that's when she starts taking her job a little more seriously. Yeah, like this should be the moment where she's like, "Okay, yeah, this was embarrassing." Happened, and I was not prepared for yeah. it at all. But instead, she gets all smug at the end of the episode. Yep, like she actually accomplished something. They barely pulled out because of you. Yeah, 
I also think this was a good way of showing, like, establishing Roe. She had her own episode. Mm-hmm. But it's nice seeing her, much like Chief O'Brien. Like I said, she's she's around sometimes, but she's not the focus of every episode she's in. Yeah. And it was nice to say, hey, we have this character. Now, look. I just, I like that. I like no, the There's a point where she actually that. crawls out of the turbo lift shaft, and I would just say to myself, oh, Rose here. That's cool. Yeah. I forgot that she is supposed to show up regularly now. Yeah. She's not like Barkley, where she gets one episode a year. Yeah. Which is nice. I th- We definitely need to talk about... Uh, what Picard and the kids get up to as they're climbing the ladder, because that's the thing everyone remembers. <laughs> the singing? <laughs> Which yeah. is their rousing round of Fair Jaca. <laughs> ah, going, we, we need a climbing song. Yeah, they're going through all the different stuff. Like, oh, well, what do you sing in school? Or was it the Laughing Vulcan? And the his, Laughing Vulcan. And his dog. And his dog. Oh, and I don't know that one. How about, oh, I'm French. Fair Jaca. What's the one French song? <laughs> no, I, I liked that, and Watching Picard go from utterly horrified to be trapped with these children to, uh-huh. you know what, I can handle this, to smiling when he sees them the next time. Yeah. And it's a great progression. He gets progression. a hug from uh, Marissa yeah. when they get out yeah. of the, and he's not shrugging her off or. No, he's not I like. Don't really he like hugs being her back. Watched. Why are you squeezing me with your body? No, yeah. he seems he seems comfortable with it. It's great. No, we, we've come a long way from uh, uh, Commander, I don't like children. Well, yeah, that's what I was saying. Imagine season one Picard doing this. Yeah. You can't. Your, your job is to make sure I never see a child. I like that Picard has kind of an arc through the series. He yeah. softens a little, but he doesn't He doesn't get weaker. He just gets more compassionate. Mm-hmm. And we'll really see that when we get to uh, the inner light where he leads that whole other life and has a family and whatever, and he really changes after that. But here, yep. I think he turns a corner. He evolves into a person who likes the flute. <laughs> Well, that's an important moment in anybody's life. Of course. Obviously. Um, and then there's the moment on the bridge where uh, everything's back to normal. And uh, Picard says something, you have the bridge, number one. And uh, Riker and Marissa at the same time go, aye, sir. Aye, sir. That was adorable. Oh, my God. The look on her face when she gets all embarrassed and stuff may be the cutest thing ever. Yeah. And you don't even like kids. I don't. So that was – and that's – I have a note here. The idea of children on the Enterprise is terrible on paper. I never liked it. But sometimes they really make it work. There was that episode, The Bonding, with that kid who, uh, whose dead mom was hanging around and Worf, like, <laughs> made him part of his family. <laughs> well, that's what happened. Commander, my dead mom's hanging around. Oh, no. Well, I'll make you part of my family. We'll take care of her. No, but that was a good episode. You want some cake? <laughs> I baked you this cake. <laughs> You said you'd make us a cake. Uh, And then coming up soon, there's a hero worship, the one where the kid wants to be like Data. Mm -hmm. And one or two of the Alexander stories aren't that bad. I mean, they they can make kid episodes work if they try. Yeah. Which I really like. Like, that should not work on a sci-fi action show, but it does. And this one may have actually worked because it's not a kid episode per se. Yes, he's stuck in the turbo lift with three kids, but that's one of four storylines. So we're not... Yeah. But it's an episode that proves that the concept of kids aboard isn't inherently bad. Yeah, yeah. but if we'd had 60 minutes of Picard with oh, the right. kids, we probably would be a little less enthused about yeah, this. Yeah, I suppose I mean, that's if true. The, those, those 40 minutes had been as good as the, you know, the time we did see with them. That's true. If I they, might have been okay with that. But, they, but, you know, expanding that out means they would be singing for Jaca for about 20 minutes, and that's, yes. you know. Listen, so... Song- no other songs, huh? Songs you guys ever see Moulin Rouge? <laughs> Songs like that or row, row, row your boat, really, after you make the seventh or eighth round, it's like, okay, yeah. I get it. Enough. 
All right. Any further business, you two? Uh, let's see here. The notes are once over. Did we mention the mutiny? No, we didn't. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I loved that, you know, the kids, they rise to the occasion. They're taking orders like they're supposed to. But then he says, leave me behind. I'm going to slow you down. And they mutiny. And he and he tells them that they're mutinying. And, I mean, we're laughing because we know he can't do anything about the mutiny. And, of course, it makes sense they're not going to leave him behind. He's, he's their dad. Well, and he's also not actually angry about it. Like, he thinks about it, and, and the look he gets on his face is, this is mutiny, you know. Like, you know. It's adorable. Like, oh, you kids. Yeah. But again, it's nice watching him gradually soften, go from completely uncomfortable to, you know, Be- making jokes with them. Because if he hadn't gotten more comfortable with them, he, you know, he would have, Picard of season one would have been pissed and would have been yelling at them for not well, obeying. At, at the very beginning of the scene, when they, you know, when the elevator breaks... He's yelling at them, stop crying! And it's like, oh, God. <laughs> Even you know that doesn't work? I Listen, Matt's the one that hates kids. Now that I don't have them screaming outside my window, I'm fairly indifferent to them. And I'm well on the record of saying your children in particular are adorable. So mm-hmm. No, even I agree with that. <laughs> Lies. Not, not, not true. No, not that you feel that, that oh. they are adorable. Oh, well... You guys are, I've said this before, you guys are the parents that only show, like, you only show the internet when they're being cute, and so that's all we know. You only Listen, post... at this point, they're technically part of our cast. So right, exactly. Have, like, oh, hey, right. they have shirts. They bought yeah. Sarcastic Voyage shirts for them, so uh, totally part of the gang. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Mercy, you got uh, We didn't hmm? talk at all about uh, Riker and Data. <laughs> the Adventures oh. of Riker and Data's Head. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> I mean, it was a very tiny part. I just it was, like it. I, no, I like their dynamic. I mean, Riker's always fun, and he's always, you know, just whoever's paired up with him is just going to have fun no matter what. And they, yep. they're they're braving this horrible electricity, but he's still like, eh, oh, well, <laughs> let's do this. And and he's poking around inside Data's head. He's like, no, sir, that is the wrong button. Mm-hmm. Sorry. <laughs> he, gets like a, he gets like the lore twitch going on. No, yeah. he didn't do it right, sir. <laughs> well, I don't think they realize the amount of danger that the entire ship is in until they actually get to engineering. I know when I, I did the summary, I made it sound like they knew what they were getting mm-hmm. into. So they get there and it's like, oh shit, we have to save the ship. And right. despite how close they are to complete disaster, they're still joking. Yep. You, you well, still got Riker. the, uh, yeah, that's, that's my wrong port. What was it? Yeah. <laughs> Which could be way <laughs> terrible out of context. <laughs> Riker hears that a lot. <laughs> wrong port, Bill. <laughs> All Listen, right. just go with it. I think you'll start to like it. Oh, God. I think with that, Marissa, you need to give us your quote. Oh, my quote is, uh, hold on. Uh, pretty much, I think, in the middle of the episode, um, the shit's already hit the fan, but uh, then is Keiko goes into labor. Mm-hmm. And um, she, hold on, I'm still looking for it. She says, I think she's like doing weird breathing and Worf notices and he comes up to her and I'm not sure what the exchange is beforehand, but she says, I'm having contractions. I believe that is not uncommon in the late months of pregnancy. No, I mean contractions. I'm going into labor. You cannot. This is not a good time, Kiko. Right. And if it had been anyone else, like I said, that, that, that turning point where either he can go, I can't deal with this right now, or if it's Worf, he just... Well, this is happening. Let's go. Yeah, he takes care of it. (laughs) Today is a good day to deliver a baby. (laughs) Exactly. So um, I I think it's an important point uh, to establish what the rest of those interactions are going to be like down the road. 
Absolutely. All right, pressing forward to the game. Yes, tell us about the game, Al. I will. I'm going to tell you thusly. That's a word I learned at our crossover. Tell us thisly. I will. Uh, Commander Riker, recently returned from his bi-weekly vacation on Risa, brings back something that puts the crew in serious jeopardy. No, it's not space chlamydia. You really think old Nails doesn't know enough to put on a transparent aluminum condom with the kind of lifestyle he lives? No, what he brought back is a video game. And, well, you know how everyone in Trek is into classic literature and plays and stuff, so they can neatly sidestep having to depict future entertainment that would look horribly dated and ridiculous almost immediately? Yeah, they didn't remember that rule when they decided to show us what this video game looks like. But listen, it's the early 90s at this point, and terrible CG in this one-off episode still looks better than anything did in Babylon 5. The game, which is only ever called The Game, is taking control of people's minds and making them evil, which is something I should hate. Wesley Crusher returns from the Academy for a visit, hooks up with that cute Robin Leffler chick we met a few weeks ago, and the two of them solve the problem of what's possessing the adults, which is something I should hate. Then the Enterprise rendezvouses with that lady that Riker was boning earlier in the episode, who apparently has exactly enough dicks for her dick ship. <laughs> Seriously, the fact that this is the most phallic thing on screen in an episode that has a scene set on Risa is goddamn impressive. And then she reveals her plan to take over Starfleet one ship at a time using her evil video games, which is something I should hate. How do I not hate this episode? Leffler and Wesley are adorable. Somehow this stupid plot actually makes sense and doesn't even descend completely into camp, and I wasn't even bothered by the fact that Beverly completely violates the sacred trust that Data instilled in her by sharing the position of his off switch. Because it sort of made sense, and it was a nice bit of continuity besides. Naturally, Wesley and Leffler save the day, and something-something meddling kids. Then they kiss and hug in his quarters, he promises to write, and then just before he bails, he calls her a good friend. Dude, did you just break up with the cutest and possibly the only chick you've ever dated? What the hell are they teaching you at that academy of yours? Oh, and one other thing. Uh, for Wesley's little welcome back surprise party, Worf baked him a cake. He baked him a cake! How this isn't referenced repeatedly throughout the episode or hell, given its own B story, I will never understand. Real wasted opportunity there. Oh, God. I, I, the mental image of Worf wearing a chef's hat and oven mitts and an apron and pulling a cake out of an oven. Oh, my God. Now it's time to apply the mint frosting. <laughs> he saved up, like, rations for weeks because, you know, replicated is not good enough. He's got to go oh, to no. a, a star base and get eggs and flour. I just picture him in his quarters, like, over, over a stove. Yep. There's like there's like flour and cake batter everywhere. Oh yeah, he's no, he, got like, he, he he's tackles got it like aggressively, a, like he does everything. But he's got like a uh, like a uh, cooking video playing while he desperately <laughs> tries to follow along. <laughs> he made like five cakes that didn't work before he got this one. <laughs> he just gives us the spot. It's fine. God, I just picture him in the Swedish chef's kitchen now. <laughs> God. Yeah, this is going to go off the rails quick if we just dwell on that too much. <laughs> That's the thing is, like, everyone remembers the previous episode as the one Picard gets stuck in an elevator, even though lots of other stuff happens. I'm always going to remember this as the episode Worf made a cake. <laughs> uh, so, I'm actually surprised that's not your good thing. Uh, no, no, it's not. My good, good thing, thing is... Worf makes cake. <laughs> Is actually, you know, Matt and I didn't see eye to eye on this when uh, we did Final Mission, but I still really like Picard and Wesley's relationship. The captain's grown into the whole father figure role, and he's proud of Wesley and kind of 
living vicariously through his academy experience. And Wesley's not so intimidated by him anymore. They're they're just hanging out. He calls him sir, but it's not like, you know, yes, captain, and he's not all rigid. They're having tea together and mm-hmm. talking about uh, the the uh, groundskeeper that Picard told him to look up, Boothby, yep. is telling him embarrassing stories about Picard. And Picard's like, oh, uh, yes, I did carve some initials on a tree. Oh, boy, you're not supposed to know about that. Oh, man. Can't we go back to when you used to be afraid of me? <laughs> I just, I really like that. When did I like... you turn into an adult? And Matt, you had mentioned you liked how everyone acted. Yeah, when he came that's back. actually my good thing if you want to do that. Now. Oh, sorry. Yeah, apparently I do. All right. So I love uh, Wesley actually came in this episode pretty strong. I love how the crew feels genuinely pleased to see him. Uh, probably not difficult considering how the how close the cast is and was. And like like them being pleased to see him made me pleased to see him. Mm-hmm. And everything he does in the episode just seems to work. I mean, yeah, he saves the day, but it makes sense that he saves the day this time. And his romance with the frankly completely adorable robin leffler is just awesome i i agree and you know i think they did a good job of (laughs) you had mentioned that they were trying to give wesley some edge or make him hip and i don't know that (laughs) That, they did that that comes right out of the memory alpha yeah that's like a direct quote from braga or somebody like that the relationship just reinforces that he's a giant nerd yeah and they're both nerds which is why it works exactly i mean the the date is awkward until they they go about solving the problem of the video game. So it's like, oh, let's get our geek on, and then they're yeah. completely at ease with each other instead of having to make this. Stupid no, they're they're in ten forward having chat. their dinner, and yeah, they're they're doing first date small talk, and they're both just kind of like, uh, well, where did you grow up? What what's your major? Uh, that's cool. And then they're seeing Think everyone. About children, huh? That must be exhausting. <laughs> And then you're seeing people around with the, hmm, what is this thing? Let's go do some science. Yeah. And then everybody's happy. Uh, so my bad thing? Mm-hmm. Well, you probably think I'm going to say the shitty effects of the game, but I'm not. I'm willing to forgive what was cutting-edge tech for the time, although I do remember it looking pretty dumb to me even back then. I'm going to go with Troy and her chocolate. Oh. Seriously, are you fucking kidding me? The fact that this is the most impassioned speech she will ever give says an awful lot about her character, and more importantly, how the writers see her character. Here's my quote right here to tell you what I mean. I never met a chocolate I didn't like. Doesn't it taste good? Mm, Of course it does, but it's not just a matter of taste. It's the whole experience. First of all, you have to spoon the fudge around the rim leaving only the ice cream in the middle then you gently spoon the ice cream around the sides like you're sculpting it relish every bite make everyone an event and then with the last spoonful close your eyes that speech that she gives is just, I don't ever remember her giving her mo- a monologue that was so, like, passionate and so important. Yeah. And so, she, she hasn't been interested in anything no. that much in her life. Nothing has been that important to her in five seasons now. What the fuck? No. She wasn't that, she wasn't that, like, passionate when her kid died. She wasn't that passionate when she had to get married or, yeah, when her kid died or all the other stuff she's been through when she's been in love. Mm-hmm. 48 times. Well, yeah. 
And but no, she would fuck the shit out of that Sunday. Except that if you listen to it as, you know, sexual innuendo with uh, with Will, who she's having the conversation with, she doesn't go far enough. That's mm-hmm. true as well. And as one of you pointed out, she picks the cherry off. And the cherry's like the most, if she's trying to be sexy to Riker, that's, you know, you pull that Twin Peaks trick. You, you oh, yeah. tie it into a knot in your mouth. And she just Unfortunately, they'd evolved beyond the need for Twin Peaks by this point. Oh, this is indeed a horrible future. <laughs> no, Gummy like is never going to come back into style. Between uh, between her, you know, awful uh, showing in the last episode and this, it's just come on, guys. It it seems like I mentioned this last week. It seems like they're really making a concerted effort to give stronger women. They have mm-hmm. Leffler. They have Roe. Guinan shows up a little more. Like they're they're really trying to have women that aren't wet dish rags now, but. Yeah. They could have improved the one they already had, and they're just not. Yeah, it's like as good as everyone else is. Everyone else, all these new characters are. Mm-hmm. She's just getting worse. Seems like it. Well, she may not even be getting worse. It's just because she sucks, and now that we have competent people around, it's That's really true. obvious. It definitely meant, yeah. But I mean, not just women. They're adding all kinds of people to the extended cast, and you know, we all love Chief O'Brien. Yep, and Nurse Ogawa's here now. Nurse Ogawa hasn't hasn't done anything yet, but no, we but know she is around. She's around, and we know she will. Mm-hmm. And just gradually, you're getting all these other people in different departments, and they're all interesting and and capable. And she's just not mm-hmm. at all. Uh, Marissa, what about you? Good thing. Good thing. Um, can I just say Robin Leffler? Oh sure, because it yes. means we get to look at Ashley Judd for an hour. <laughs> I don't even yep. think we mentioned that she is Ashley Judd. So that yep. definitely. Some, uh... She's Ashley Judd, and it's before she... I don't want to say she got old, because Ashley Judd is definitely aged well, but she's still got that youthful innocence. She looks mm-hmm. great. And the character is... I mean, I, I think I said in my notes that you know she can do better with, than Wesley, and I'm thinking that mm-hmm. because she's actually already a Starfleet officer. He's some... Yeah, he's, rookie, a he's a cadet. She can do better. And she yeah, outsciences like... him pretty much right when they meet. She just... You know, she tells him, you're doing this wrong. So, you know, she's smart. She's mm-hmm. capable. She looks good. And it's all believable. Yeah, and they do that thing that TV doesn't often do, which is she's definitely a nerd. There's definitely a bit of social awkwardness there. She's still hot. Like, it's yep. it's usually hard on TV to buy that someone is, a you know, an awkward nerd when they're so incredibly attractive. But I believe it from her. But she's, I believe she's you oh, know. And, and she's not so 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 awkward that it's you know painful to see her. No, she's not. She's not Barkley. It's adorable. No. Yeah, it is. But she mentions that you know her parents were scientists or whatever that moved all around, and uh, she her seems mother was actually a space god. That's what it was. What? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, uh, thanks, Peter David. I know you can hear me from your novel. <laughs> really, is that true? Yeah. Her mom was a space god. Her mom was a space god. Uh. Possibly every character Majel Barrett ever played. Oh, what? Um, man. Immortal. Well, what she says in the episode, which is canon. It eventually becomes the ship's computer. What she says in the episode, which is canon, is that her parents were scientists. They were specialists, and so she had to move around a lot. And she came off as that kind of kid, who's just yep. kind of a little weird. And she's smart, but she hasn't made a lot of friends because she had to move around a lot. And uh, she's got these weird laws. We haven't mentioned that yet. She's got oh, yeah, that's right. Leffler laws where she's, you know, rule number 762, don't ever 
eat. Never give a sucker an even break. <laughs> Wait, that might be the Ferengi rules. Never, <laughs> never let chocolate be your only defining characteristic. Yeah, I'm not sure how life's not fair had to wait until number 47. I, yeah, you'd think that would be one. Yes. Well, one was uh, don't rely on anybody but yourself, I think. Right, and two is don't talk about Fight Club. <laughs> because even in the future, they'll enjoy references to Fight Club. Although three is talk about Fight Club all you want, which is really strange. <laughs> it's one of those logical paradoxes that Kirk would have used to blow up a computer. Yeah, but see, then four is disregard rule three. Oh, yeah. And five is you will be compliant to OCP regulations. <laughs> Because they always enjoy a RoboCop reference, too. And <laughs> uh, your bad thing, Marissa? Um, can I just go with the creepy, like, sex breathing? Oh, I, I, yeah. Oh, my God. And the scene where Wesley walks in on Beverly playing the game, it her, her reaction, and, oh, yeah, she and, she's, like she's she, and the thing is, she's being shot from, like, the neck up. So for all mm-hmm. we know, she was actually oh, yeah. masturbating. Her reaction yep. is, like, that's what he walked in on. And it's not like an acting choice on her part. They're all playing it like that. Exactly. So yeah. I don't. I don't know if that's because the writers don't understand addiction. I like. I thought this is a drug allegory metaphor, whichever the appropriate uh, literature term is here. I, I guess it's mm-hmm. actually yeah, supposed to be a video game thing. I just. Thought I think it was, it's a simile. I just. <laughs> I thought it was a like a drug comparison, and I get that it's like stimulating this like pleasure centers of the brain, but it's just like there's. The scene where he's with Nurse Sagawa in the turbo lift, and she's just, <gasps> this is so, so uncomfortable. Yeah. And Matt mentioned that she's probably just not even going anywhere, just riding just... the turbo lift up and down, just <laughs> assaulting anyone who walks in with their creepy, like, hey, you're still playing the game? Yeah. Yeah. But like, yes. like I said, they're all doing that. They're all doing this creepy ecstasy moan, mm. and it's just really unnerving. And, and, oh. Yeah. And Matt looked it up in Mary Alpha. Apparently it's actually supposed to be about video games, not about yeah. not about addiction or not about drugs. But it's I, clearly an episode written about people who under who have kids who play video games but don't understand them at all. Yeah, so they just wrote an episode about drugs and then substituted they did a find and replace for drugs and, and replaced with video games. And I, yeah, let's see here. And I think uh, Matt's gonna get a chance to go off on this. I'm gonna just touch on it a little bit. I think that if if you guys hadn't told me it wasn't about video games, I wouldn't be irritated about this right now. Because I think we can all agree that, you know, crack is bad. You, uh-huh. Yes, crack is bad. But, video games are good. Exactly. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> well, Matt, why don't you... Why don't I see you have a bit of a rant prepared yeah, here. Let's, bring, can you yeah, bring the anger? Episode. <laughs> really? I thought your other one was your angry episode. Apparently, I'm just going to be angry every episode of Star Trek now. Oh, that's fine. This will, this will pay off great when we get to Voyager. <laughs> All right, so uh, unlike Al, I will comment on the shitty video game effects because I distinctly remember watching this episode when it came out. Uh, so this would have been, what, 92? Yeah. So I either would have still had my NES or had just gotten my, my SNES. I don't remember. Uh, in either case, I was a pretty big gaming nerd, like, now. But I completely remember thinking how much it sucked that this is what video games are going to look like in the future. Throw a Frisbee in a tunnel! That is so fucking boring. That is even more boring than Tetris. Come when you have a game where an Italian stereotype jumps on a flying turtle. I agree. However, I think the point was the game doesn't have to be good. It's, oh, of course it it's does. It's zapping your, you know, your pleasure center. It, it could be the word, you know, it could be a blank screen. It could be flying toasters, which Listen, makes way more uh, sense in 1992, but trust me. Ogawa says it herself. Like, you don't even actually have to play it. Yeah. It's just, like, 
It's just massaging your, you know, your head penis. That's all. Doesn't uh, Wesley, like, actively resist it, and then it's making an effort of, no, no, you will get it in here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, yeah. So frisbee out of tunnel. I it just I don't know that didn't bother me because I I got what it was supposed to be it didn't well, really matter I mean other than that I really like the episode so I will be curious to see if they change it completely for the Blu-rays or if they just well this is what it was supposed to look like that would be actually I would that would be very in- interested to see how that goes because they usually try to stay very respectful to the original intention but they yeah. could be like well we intended for this to look cool and we failed I almost like the idea that uh, it's. <laughs> Like, even by the future standards, it's a pretty shittily made video game. Yeah. But again, it doesn't matter. Mm. So, I, I briefly said uh, head penis. Let's talk about the, the lady <laughs> oh, with, with the head genitals. <laughs> this is... The... This race of people is... Oh, we've only seen the one chick. For all we know, she had some special surgery or something. Uh-huh. But, I mean... Okay. They have a... They have a spaceship shaped like a penis. Yeah, they do. Now... The actual people themselves, or at least this woman herself, um, she has a forehead vagina. Well, she has a forehead butt, and then underneath that she has a forehead vagina. It's like she's got a whole lady bending over on her head. Yeah. It's like, I love the idea that this entire race, like, is completely built around the contents of human pants. But I also like the idea that they don't know it. It's just a weird coincidence, like, oh, that's what you get, oh, uh... This is creepy. Like, the Federation makes first contact with them and just burst out laughing. (laughs) Oh my god, that's what you guys look like? Listen, in an infinite universe, there's gonna be that. Yep. You're gonna get head genitals. It's like, well, what's so funny? We reproduce by releasing a cloud of spores. Yeah. Out of our head butts. We don't know. We don't know what head genitals are. Don't be weird. They they built the ship as an homage, apparently, to Will Riker, because they, they've got to know what that <laughs> looks like. I mean, that was our opening scene, you know. I suppose we didn't actually see them hook up, but... We uh, saw them rolling around in bed together and being really playful and, you know. I, I love that scene. I love... I think Frakes is better than anyone at playing casual day-off Riker. Like, nobody else plays their characters as... Letting their guard down, not doing their jobs, just being a guy hanging out as well as he does. Now it's a, if nothing else, it's a very, um, it's a very tight crew, you know. Yeah. But he, you know, he loosens up really well, and I just I like the scene. I like seeing him work his magic. I like yeah. seeing him, you know, charm chicks. He's a very charming guy. Like this is it, like this. I mean, you joke about it in your summary, but like I feel like this is something he does at least once a year. He goes to Riza, he finds a girl, and he. Spends the rest of the weekend of the week in bed. Could be, or you know, he gets a different one each day, or you know, mm-hmm. who knows. It actually occurred to me as as she was revealed at the end there, with her head butt vagina, mm-hmm. that this might have been a better plot for Sela. Let's oh. make Sela the evil video game lady and just okay. Now she's gone. Yeah, I could see that. Let's not waste her on Spock. Let's just use her here. Soon I will rule the Federation by giving one person at a time a video game. Like I said I'm in my the summary. scariest Romulan of all. So, her... in order for that okay. to have been Sela, would Riker have had to hook up with her at the start of the episode? Oh, God. Yeah, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I always did want to hook up with Tasha at some point. This is the next best thing, I guess. Huh? I guess this will do. Oh. Can you call me Commander? <laughs> Lord. I'm sorry, did I destroy Ugh. your Riker Broner? 
No, no, it's, it's, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm sitting in a closet here telling a girl about how, uh, how much I like Riker, uh, charming chicks. This is a little weird. Yeah, especially when Ashley Judd was in the episode. Yeah. Who? <laughs> Moving on. Like I mentioned, th- there is so much about this episode I should not have liked. It just seems so dumb. It seems so sort of pulpy, campy in an original series, Doctor who kind of way. And I, it worked for me. It was just mm-hmm. kind of goofy fun, and I don't usually like this kind of episode. Yeah. But I, as far as mind control possession episodes go, the, the technology, the, the pseudo-tech made more sense than it usually does. Yeah. No, it's usually like, you know, phantom ghost aliens or something. This, yeah. This works. It's like... I can buy... I buy being controlled by technology. Yeah. Being hypnotized with something that grabs your pleasure center, that, that seems plausible to me. And, and I also really like how it affects the, the crew. Oh, there's a nice progression of first you see one or two people in the background, then you notice 10 forward is a little empty, and gradually it just starts catching on everywhere. I, like, this episode ties back to my uh, Trek is Horror thing, which we haven't gotten in a while. No, and I don't think it, it does. Like, I don't think Next Gen does horror very well at all. I think the original no. series covered it sometimes. but No, but this one, it's got a real Invasion of the Body Snatchers vibe to it, and they yep. do it really well. I, I agree. The the scene where uh, like Beverly uh, sort of gets Data to come down to to sick bay and then uh, knocks him out with her uh, with the uh, off switch, mm-hmm. like it's it's really well done and it sets up a pretty good uh, cliffhanger episode uh, or uh, commercial break mm-hmm. where we have her and uh, Troy and uh, Riker just sort of looking intimidating. Yeah, we were all talking about the uh, the camera angle from mm-hmm. sort of uh, Data's unconscious POV where they're looking down at him. And it's it's creepy. It's like it's it's just it's one of those things with like, ooh, where's this going? Yeah, and these guys are people we we trust that we you know that we like. I mean, well, we except for let Troy. Some of them run our ships. No. <laughs> and now they're looking all sinister and stuff. Yes. Okay, we got to talk about this. They at some point off screen gave Jordy the game. Mm-hmm. What the fuck? I have nothing now. Now <laughs> that doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, no, considering but, you have to... At the very beginning, Riker says, do you open your eyes? And she says, yes, you have to open your eyes. Well, right there, I see a problem here. But the thing is, like, I feel like if they could figure out a way for him to play it, like, mm-hmm. you know, run it through his visor or whatever, it's something he would actually play. Just what to the fit in. What breaks down for me uh-huh. is that somehow Picard is playing this thing before Wesley gets a hold of it. Yeah. He doesn't seem like the ooh a video game. Okay, I love these things. Yeah, is this the one where is this the one where you play the little man with the hammer and you have to climb the thing and fight the gorilla? <laughs> I love that one. I used to play it at the academy all the time. Do 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 do. Really, sir? Because Boothby said that the initials on the high sc- high score screen were AF. Oh. <laughs> ah hell. <laughs> I also liked that this was the first appearance of the uh, mostly black Starfleet uniforms, the uh, mm-hmm. the cadet uniform that. Wesley comes back in is red on the top, and it's black the rest of the way down. Mm-hmm. I yeah. like the look of those. My favorite design after uh, the uh, DS9 war. Yeah, I agree. These are the ones that they'll go on to wear on DS9 for a while, and then also on Voyager, and they're yeah. they're good-looking uniforms. Mm-hmm. All right. I agree. Also true. Yes. Anything else, you guys? Any further uh... points to make? No, I just dig this one. Do we yeah, want to talk I... about how uh, Data just kind of shows up? At the end, or that didn't bother me. I mean, you, I, I see that you, that kind of, you saw it as a bit of a, oh, here's data. 
But I, I don't know. Didn't... Uh, I mean, you're not wrong, but it's sort of like... They explained it as Wesley had already set him up, and then, like, his entire last half of the episode was him distracting them so he could... So Data could put the cure together. Yeah, and I imagine which Data... Is, which is a strobe light, by the way. Yeah. He's uh, he's holding a light switch rave to uh, to cure everyone. Oh my... Okay, I'm just picturing Data, like, decked out for, like, rave... In, like, <laughs> With a glow rave stick. Area, and like, glow sticks and... A uh, pacifier. Yep. Right. You know, it occurs to me that you can do that on your phone now, can't you? What's that? Well, no, the, the, strobe, the, light? the strobe light. It's an app on the oh, iPhone. Totally. They, they spent how much time programming that on that show, and we've got no, it like it that. Wasn't, it wasn't just the strobe light. They talked. He talked about a specific frequency to blah, 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 the tachyons, or I don't know. Do you have a headache yet? <laughs> yes. Listen, it's only going to get worse from here as far as Technobabble goes. I'm, I'm ready for it. Yeah. It's fine. All right. Anything else? Uh, no, I think that that is it. Marissa, anything? Oh, I like when uh, I like when Data shows up on the bridge. And I get a real. I am here to kick ass and chew bubble gum. And the <laughs> replicator is incapable of of making bubble gum. Okay, that's pretty good. <laughs> Marissa, anything else? Uh, no. I like. I think we said this one flows really well, but there's not necessarily a lot to say. No, the and ball the gets last rolling half of the episode, and it keeps going. Yeah. It sort of writes itself, but not in a bad way. Just like, okay, here we go. I also think this only counts as Wesley saving the ship about half. Because, you know, Leffler helped, Data helped. Mm. He doesn't get full credit for this one. No. So I still think that the, the total times that Wesley saved the ship is maybe like one plus two halves, so two. Like, that's it. I would bump that up to three, but that's probably is about it. Yeah, he hasn't, like, it's always been one of those, like, held as one of those tropes, and I don't I don't think it's happened as often as people think it has. No. And this is the last time. Because his, yeah. his other episode takes place at Starfleet Academy, and then his other he one... Does not, uh, he does not, th- that dude does not save anyone in that episode. No, not at all. And that makes up for it. Yep. In spades. All right. Well, that is all for this week. Marissa, it's been great having you. We would love to have you back if you'll... You know, if you join us again. As long as it's not Enterprise. I can't promise that. <laughs> <laughs> I may one day say, hey, we need your help. And you'll say, okay. Oh, it's Enterprise. Ah, fuck. I already said okay. <laughs> Damn. Uh, next week, we will be doing the long-awaited two-part uh, Spock episode. Yes, indeed. Which I have hinted gets ruined by the presence of a certain character. But there's a lot to like about it. So mm-hmm. uh, join us for that. Our pal Beeve will be joining and, us. Yeah, Beeve oh. will be there. Yes. Oh? Oh. I'm excited. Oh, good. You weren't excited by Spock, but you're excited about Beef. <laughs> I'm a simple girl. I gotcha. Oh, and the Drunken Time Travel crossover that we've been talking about for quite some time should be posting this week. Oh, uh, score. I finished editing part one today, and we're planning on posting it on the 29th, which is, I believe, Thursday of the week you're hearing the show. So look forward to that. We had a lot of fun with those guys. And <laughs> yeah, we did. If you feel a tenth of the, the, the fun and joy that we felt with those guys, you will have a blast because it, we just it's us giggling the whole time because we just really enjoy each other's company. Yes, we do. Also, I drink beer. <gasps> All right. You drink and beer that, and you felt joy? I know. It's, yeah, it's almost like he's a person. This is a can't I, miss. <laughs> Mr. L, you're becoming more human every day. <laughs> All right, Matt, take us out. See you, folks.
The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar Watt and Matt Robotham, copyright 2012. Please don't sue us. We're just doing this for fun.